Welcome to Midpoint, OCC's midweek podcast aimed at helping you connect with last week's message and prepare you for next week's sermon. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to Bin- <laughs> We'll start again. I thought I was a sleepy one. Should we try that again? Yes. Okay, here we go. Hello and welcome to Midpoint, your midweek connection to Orchards Community Church. Last weekend, Pastor James talked with us through Acts eleven sixteen through 30, yes. where you walked us through the mega church of Antioch, its growth, and how we can have an Acts-based church growth strategy. Great, you know, praise God for a great sermon. It was just super, super applicable. Um, had some questions come in from yes, people, and we exciting. love when people do that, and <laughs> it, it's going to walk us through the sermon here, these questions. First one comes from a woman in the body, and she asked this, when did Saul start being called Paul, or did Barnabas always call him Saul? Yeah, that's a great question, and we haven't spent a lot of time with it yet, and I guess we'll get more to it when the shift in Acts changes and we kind of move away from Peter's ministry completely to the Jews, to Paul's ministry, and Paul did minister to both, mm-hmm. but more exclusively to the Gentiles, but it's not. Like, I think a lot of people, and I've, I've probably said this before, and I think this is the way we capture this in our head, well, God changed Saul's name. Mm-hmm. And he changed it from Saul to Paul. He really didn't. It's not mm-hmm. like, you know, Peter was Simon, you know, yeah. and he said, no, from now on, you're going to be Peter. Yeah. That isn't really what happened with Paul. It's just that he started referring to himself mm-hmm. differently. And I mean, and there's, it clearly makes sense as, as you see how it happens and you know more about Saul, Paul, uh, a guy who's from Tarsus. We always call him Saul of Tarsus, but he grew up in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So when he was young, probably most historians say like five or whatever, his family moved to Jerusalem. And that's where he got all his education, and that's yeah. where you know he went to the great schools and Gamaliel taught him, and and so that was wonderful. But he's a Roman citizen living there in Jerusalem, yes. And so Saul was his Hebrew name, the yeah. name he was born, but then his Roman name literally was Paul, mm-hmm. and so in that he had two names. It wasn't that God changed his name, but when you see him then go into ministry, what happens is he always refers to himself by his Roman Paul. name, yeah. And that makes sense, again, when you think about it, because he spent... I mean, he took... Peter, again, went... uh, We love Peter, but he went primarily to Jewish guys. Paul went primarily to Gentile Gentile people. So he's carrying the gospel everywhere, and it's largely these non-Jewish areas. He's going to go by his Roman name. Him being a Roman citizen bailed him out of trouble, as I'm seeing you nod your head several times. He's oh, like, yeah. oh, you, you can't do that to me. I'm a Roman citizen. And they're like, oh, crud. They, you know? they back up They back up. Yeah, real, real quickly. Quick. Yeah. <laughs> real that quick. was the, the weight that that carried. But, but in that, it, it's just really neat, and, and this is the thing that probably is the most telling. Uh, the name Paul in the Roman language meant small or little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Paul understood that. He understood mm-hmm. God was great. What does John the Baptist say? He must increase and I must decrease. Paul got that. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm going to go by this name that means small mm-hmm. because God is so big. big. And so that that's truly the change. And like I said, I don't know that I, I don't know that I'd heard that until I went to seminary. That's mm-hmm. not something we talk about a lot in the church. And so everybody I think operates under that assumption. Well, God changed his name. Yeah. And it happened there on the Damascus Road. It really didn't. Yeah, you know? agreed. <laughs> so yeah, great, great question. But again, just not one we spend a lot of time talking about in the church. And and so because we got the question, I think when we get to Acts 13, somewhere in there, I, I might really start just telling that story a little bit. And, yeah, I and, think it's important. Yeah, and you folks who are listening to Midpoint get it early. <laughs> and I, if I remember with, with some of my studies, you're right, you don't hear about that until you hit Bible college, seminary. I think with some of my studies too, I think part of it, 
and remind me, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, was also a change of identity for him yeah. a little bit too. And he was now leaving his connections to the Jewish yeah. and to that that time. Yeah, and and the reality, you know, since we get such a small picture, there there probably were times that he still went by Saul. Oh yeah, he probably went home, you know, and, and stuff like that. But in that, it really was, you know, and what does he say? You know, to win the week, I became weak. I became mm. all things, and so he went by this Roman name because mm. that was the people he was going to. It, it totally makes sense when you think about the things that he was called to do. Of course. But, but again, yeah, like I say, that's just, I'd never heard a sermon on it, never mm. heard anything about it. And so that's just the assumption. Oh, he got his name changed. He really didn't. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah. yeah. Paul, Paul's life is incredible. And I'm excited for us to start digging into it here. It, yeah. It's going to get, well, and again, th- this is why I think God pressed this on my heart to walk us through Acts. It's a phenomenal journey. The mm. missionary journeys, the things that we see in Paul's life, his obedience to the Lord, being sold out to Jesus. There's great stuff to come. I've enjoyed the study already. There's more great stuff to come. Oh, yeah. There's, there's some really good stuff. So our next question is this. The divide, or we'll use a big theological word here, schism. Oh, my. Woo! Between the Jews and Gentiles is scattered throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. Can you explain a little bit more of why the Jews and Gentiles were such enemies? No. Okay, right, good. <laughs> Number three. <laughs> I... It's a great question, and I, I yeah. appreciate so much the heart of it. The, the idea of them being enemies, we truly do see in Scripture, but but truly it's it's based on the origin story mm-hmm. more than anything else. And, and so I didn't have time uh, to look back today, but it, from what I remember, the whole idea of the Jews and, and the origin story, you know, some people try and trace back way back in the Old Testament and say, well, Seth is the only descendant from... Uh, Noah and, and Mrs. Noah, and, and you know you don't see other, you know, even Cain, Abel, mm-hmm. family lines listed, Seth is the one, so really the Jewish nation comes from, and, and Father Abraham is supposed to be the father of all the nations, mm-hmm. but it starts here. You know, I don't know that any of those are right. No. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've heard people walk down that path. I think, honestly, it comes down to Jacob. Jacob is the guy who literally did have his name changed and said, from now yeah. on, you will be Israel. And so when we think about Jews and Gentiles... It truly becomes descendants of Jacob are Jews, and then everyone and else. Everybody, exactly. Everybody else. Everyone else is, is outside Gentile. Yeah. the camp. Yeah. yeah, and so, but but the great thing of understanding that then is today Americans for Gentiles, Canadians yeah. are Gentiles, and, and back in the day, you know, the folks from Medo Persia were Gentiles. Just anybody who wasn't a descendant of Jacob, Agreed. and so that made it really easy, but also again, it made it so exclusionary. Mm-hmm. And that's not the purpose, mm-hmm. you know. It, it, and that's one of the big things we have to mention. One of the follow-up questions I thought was really, really good. You know, says, "What do you think are, are the Gentiles for believers today?" Well, it's, it's a good question to ask because it makes us think of the scope of mm-hmm. obedience to sharing the gospel. But it's not an apples to apples question because we're the Gentiles, yeah. honestly. And, and so, as you think about that question, it really is not exclusivity; it's priority. Mm-hmm. The gospel was supposed to go to the Jews first, and then they were supposed to. What is Father Abraham's deal? You're supposed to be a blessing to all the nations. Romans Romans makes that clear. Makes all that clear. the nations will be blessed through yeah. you. Agreed. And so truly, it's you get it first, but you don't get to keep it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. You get it first because you're supposed to share it. And what happened, because we are prone to, and I'm not just throwing folks back in the day under the bus, we do this as well, we are prone to then want to take things and keep them for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And the good news of the gospel, sadly, this is what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. The good news of the gospel was these Jewish people went, that's just for us. Yeah. And again, it was about 
priority order. No, it's for you first mm. to go share with everybody else. So, yeah. and again, that'll kind of really start to get fleshed out through the rest of the Acts of the Apostles, and especially with Paul on the missionary journeys and, and, and the, just the scope mm. of the rest of the world. Yeah. Well, it's a big world. He's got to reach everybody. <laughs> Do you think some of this divide or this tension between the two has to come back to to the Old Testament and to where when God really said, you are my people, mm-hmm. and then do not intermarry, do not associate yeah. with those outside of yourselves, I think, has that come all the way down, you think, into what we're studying? I, I think we've taken some things like that and tried to make them still prescriptive today, yeah. when again, that was only for that time. Do you think that's what they were struggling with, probably well, at the time, maybe? I, I've heard that before, and yeah. I'd buy that. Okay. I truly, truly would. You know, there, there comes a notion there where you're like, okay, we, we tend to... Again, I'm going to make this just about the sinfulness, yeah. you know, because that's that's one of the things that I've seen that's so incorrect. We we've made that term Gentile mean sinful, you know, mm. as if the Jewish people had no sin, and the, you know, yeah. and that's not the picture whatsoever. So so we take things even still today mm-hmm. that we see in Levitical law, yeah. and we go, well, I don't like that, so let's still operate under the Levitical law in mm-hmm. that area and say that's bad. Yeah. You know, homosexuality is is the easy one. You know, everybody will quote a passage in Leviticus, and you're like. But that one right next to it that says you can't wear a poly cotton blend. Nobody seems to be. <laughs> There's mold in your house. You have to. You have, you have to do X, Y, and Z to the house. Ooh, like, ooh! I touched a pig, so they. I got to die. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. so we, we want to elevate those ones that we don't like. Mm-hmm. And again, not trying to say there's not great value in studying Levitical law, but Jesus came to fulfill all those mm-hmm. laws. And so to realize, okay, I can't make this anymore about sinfulness or non-sinfulness because I also am sinful. Yeah. So the intermarriage part was a big deal. And again, there was a purity thing that mm-hmm. pe- they were looking for at the time that that was prescribed Great. that, again, no, no longer applies truly Great. today. Absolutely. But yes, I, I do, to the crux of your question, I do think that probably lent itself to more of that division. The tension, yeah. But again, it was like, they're not us. Yeah. And and still today, I'm not trying to throw everybody under the bus, but still today we have that thing. We don't like to really hang out with people who are not like us. Mm-hmm. And we call it affinity because that's mm-hmm. better than calling it sinful. Agreed. Yeah. But do we understand the scope of how far we're supposed to carry God's message? Mm. And that's a hard question to again, yeah. it's really it's pretty simple to answer on paper. It's yeah. hard to live. And I think I look at this and uh, th- this question regarding just the divide, and I, I see a lot of almost this rubberneck syndrome with mm-hmm. the Jews of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. hold on, you said for generations that we weren't supposed to associate, mm-hmm. but now we're all supposed to, so- like, it's this rubber, like, what are we yeah. supposed to do? I mean, and it's that idea of that Jesus came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to abolish it, and there's that beauty there. And, and you see some of those things where, again, you look at, uh, you spend so much time just looking at the things Jesus did. Yes. You know, Scripture says it's just a, a blip on the number mm-hmm. of things that he actually did as you're reading the gospels it's a couple weeks you know mm-hmm. that you get of his life that are that are really you know the focus there mm-hmm. and you're like well he walked 3 years we're only yeah. getting you know yeah. but in that the things that he did on purpose like going through samaria instead of walking around samaria it's massive when he was in samaria going and talking to a woman because people didn't talk mm-hmm. to him, you know and, and all these things he's like I'm trying to help you see the scope mm-hmm. of this thing yeah. <laughs> and again it was the and I like the way you're for the rubberneck and was like no we learned we weren't supposed to do that yeah and Jesus is saying, I'm giving you this new way to do this. Yeah. <laughs> and and, I, and maybe that that would be a neat study. I've never done that. Maybe that would, you know, the difference for them between understanding abolishing the law versus fulfilling the law. Yeah, that's really Because good. that did seem to be the hang-up right there. <laughs> that, was, that was the huge hang-up, yeah. I think. And it, it, when he came, is, 
I mean, I think the Jews thought he was just there to elevate the Jewish law and make a king out of the Jews when, in fact, he was supposed to save all of humanity. Well, and again, it's hard, it's really hard to, to talk about that without thinking about being in their shoes mm-hmm. and just the number of times they got run over by these oh, yeah. neighboring countries. But, you know, and so the the notion, you know, we, we almost kind of short sell it, but the notion that Jesus shows up and they're like, well, great, now it's our turn. Now yeah. we'll be the big kids on the block and we'll go run, you know, which of course is not at all what Jesus yeah. came for, but I see why they wanted it because <laughs> de- they kept getting dominated by all these other people groups. Yeah. I heard it described that Israel at that time was the political football. Yes, And I exactly. think there's still the political football to this day of one nation was kicking them, the next nation got them, the next nation did this, and mm-hmm. they were just hurting for a king to physically save them. And that's even still... I mean, didn't yeah. mean to go no, that, that yeah. far down this path, but I mean that's even still the day, deal today between Palestinians and Israelites, oh, yeah. and and where was the temple originally? And this, you know, and those things like they're fighting over things that Jesus kind of made clear, and now they have muddied up. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it makes it hard. But and a lot of times when we tend to overly politicize things, we will make those things hard as well. Mm. But but that wasn't designed to be mm. a political deal. It was supposed to be a salvation deal. Yes, agreed. And and they took their eye off the ball to steal from your analogy. <laughs> and I think that's that's so true. And I think the entire divide here is 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 highlighting the fact that Jesus came and he's yeah. elevated this and he's cre- he's put a new law in place and Yeah, well said. And really well is, said. And that's I think that's where we're at. So Thank you. Good, good question, Thank you for yeah. walking us through that a little yeah. bit and yeah. helping us understand that more. Third question, as, so speaking directly to you, mm-hmm. James, as the shepherd of OCC, what does Acts-based church growth look like here at OCC? That, I think, is a neat question, and, and especially in light of where we were with the sermon, because I kept talking about church growth strategy. And I just want people who are part of the body here at OCC to understand we're not sitting back going, well, we're a church of 500 people mm. or 550 or whatever it is, mm. and we wish we were a church of 1,000 people or 2,000. Yeah. You know, It's not that. We have talked before, what would we do if all of a sudden stuff blew up and we'd do more services? We'd do, you know, yeah. we, we have plans in place because we want to be a good steward. But none of the things are about we have to have X number of people, so we're going to have a raffle and give away the car or whatever. Uh, So the Acts church strategy, the church growth strategy, really I think has to be that Acts 2 model of the early church, Mm. where as you saw the early church grow, they cared for one another. Mm. And that was going to be their whole deal. They were going to shepherd, encourage, care. And and that's what I love about that picture of the church in Antioch saying, oh my gosh, famine coming to Judea, let's send them stuff. Yeah. Because they got, oh my goodness, they sacrificed for all the people around them. We have an opportunity now mm-hmm. to sacrifice for them. And oh yeah, by the way, they sent us Barnabas. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. And so it's not even just, you know, we got to pay them back because they sent us a good dude. It's this is what the church is supposed mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. So that to me is the church growth strategy. And, and I've heard this question asked many times before, and, and obviously we've asked it in staff meetings and, mm-hmm. and retreats and stuff. But, but the notion of, well, gosh, if your church all of a sudden disappeared tomorrow, if, if Orchard's Community Church was gone, mm-hmm. literally like you know the building, the people, everything, it was gone tomorrow, would your community notice? Mm. And that's really, really challenging because you're like, oh, my goodness. you know. And I know the people who call OCC home would, but, but would our neighbors notice? Mm. Would the people that we shop at the stores and, and go to the gyms, would, would they notice if we were gone? Mm. Because we're trying to be a light for Christ in this world. And, and that really is the thing to me. If we're going to grow as a church, and, and in saying that, it is goofy. Um, and, and I'm going to say this only because these are statistics that we know since the time that I've come on here. Nothing to do with me, but mm-hmm. the fact that God brought me here. 
But like we showed up here and the church had gone through a, a numerical decline for a mm. while uh, after Pastor Mark Brewster had left. He'd been there like 30 years and, and it was time for him to retire. Mm. I love Mark dearly, yeah. but he was you know being called a, a new thing. And then he had a health issue that actually mm. I see why God had pulled him at that time. But, uh, but you know, the church, whatever size it was when I got here, statistically was growing mm. kind of month by month by month. And we look at numbers and you're like, oh my gosh, it was growing. And did up until COVID, mm-hmm. and then <laughs> shrunk. COVID was a church massively, killer. yeah. As, as a lot of churches yeah. struggled in that, and trying to figure out, okay, God, how are you wanting us to do this? How are you wanting us to to continue to be your church and meet together? Which is real, real clear in Scripture yeah. <laughs> that we're supposed to do that. So, you know, and and then coming back from that, when a lot of people, out of an abundance of caution for health and everything, were taking a break from coming. Uh, once we kind of got through the biggest part of that pandemic, again, you start looking at month-to-month church numbers, attendance started growing, and again, it has since then. Yeah. So we're looking at a church where we look at numbers and we go, well, we're pretty healthy. Mm-hmm. But but that's not the only indicator. Yeah. Because in that Acts 2 model, it wasn't just that the church grew. And, and of course, they were adding to their number of people who were being saved Agreed. day by day. And that's a big, big thing that not just... OCC, I think all churches struggle with finding new believers, brand new Christ followers who are part of their church. Uh, If we're growing because people are moving into the valley or if we're growing because somebody left in their church, I mean, we want to shepherd and care for those people, but obviously we would love a bunch of brand new Christ followers as well. So our church growth strategy is, are we looking through our four chairs and saying, we're going to meet lost people Mm -hmm. and help them become brand new believers and then help the believers become workers, the workers become disciple makers. And in that, are we all serving together? Do we know what our gifts are and are we using them? So the growth thing, it's not a single ticket item. (laughs) Like There's a whole bunch of things. And that's what you saw in the early church. They got together and they ate together because they Mm -hmm. enjoyed being with one another. That's fellowship. That's unity. Yeah. They, they pulled their resources and they said, hey, Andrew's struggling. Let's make sure Andrew has this. And then later, James is struggling and Andrew goes, hey, I've got this. And that to me is the yeah. sign of health. And again, I just I say it so many times, healthy things grow on their own. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to put a whole lot of work into making sure healthy things grow. They grow when you feed them and give them light. And you know, if you have Agreed. a plant that, that you set in your window and it gets food and water and light, it's going to grow. Agreed. Yeah. So can we keep supplying the things that God wants us to so that we can keep growing? That's our church growth strategy. <laughs> I think churches struggle, and you, you mentioned this, like, you know, we, we look at metrics, we look yeah. at numbers, and, and I think, sadly, churches struggle so much with just numbers and being yeah. so focused on numbers. And I think numbers are important. I think numbers are important to consider. They are an evidence of growth. They're not the only, no. they're not the only thing of exactly. growth, but they are a part of evidence of growth. But I think that's such a hard thing. And so... Why do you think churches really struggle with numbers so much regarding growth? Well, and I think because, again, it's a metric you can track, and I think we have substituted that for being the number one sign of growth. Um, I've used this analogy several times before, and I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus in this one either, but when I was doing Young Life Ministry, we had what on the surface looked like a really successful Young Life Mm, Ministry. Yeah, agreed. Um, we had grown in the number of kids who were coming to our outreach events. We'd grown in the number of kids we took to camp. We'd grown in the number of leaders we had, and all that stuff was great. I mean, it, it really it looked fantastic on paper, but the reality was we weren't doing great individual young life ministry, mm-hmm. wow. which is really about being invested in kids' lives, taking the gospel to them, going where they are, winning the right to share the gospel. Uh, we had a bunch of leaders. We had around 30 leaders in our area 
but but more than half of them weren't doing a great job hanging out with kids. Yeah, they just showed up at club and and they really kind of enjoyed being with each other even more than they enjoyed being with high school kids. And so at the end of that year, I really felt God mm-hmm. was telling me, "Hey, we don't need that many leaders if they're not going to do something." Yeah, you've been so intentional uh, in getting your volunteer leaders here at OCC to sign this covenant mm, that says yeah. you're going to do this number of things. Like if you want to do this, you really got to be invested in kids' lives. So you got to come to church. You yeah. know? And, and as you know, I fully supported that covenant and I, and I, I think it's a great, great thing for you yeah. to do. So I, I kind of did that back in yeah. young life and I dehired a bunch of these volunteer leaders and we went from 30 leaders to about 15. Yeah. And the next year, you know, where we'd had 130, 140 kids coming to our clubs, we had like a hundred kids coming. Uh, we'd taken 84 kids to camp the previous year. We took 60-some-odd kids to camp the next year. And my regional director, who's a good guy and I love dearly, came to me and was like, well, gosh, what's wrong? Your ministry really seems to be suffering. On the surface, it looks like it it's dying yeah. or it, whatever it may but be. But the reality yeah. is we were doing much better ministry. Agreed, yeah. we, were, <laughs> we were being much more intentional with kids. My, my leaders who were left were all in. They're meeting with kids. Sometimes we literally had kids not come into club mm. because they'd met with a leader one-on-one during the yeah. week. And, and you know, they, high school kids are busy. Yes. You know this. Yeah. They, they can't come to everything. And so in that... I felt like we were doing much better ministry, and and I ended up actually being part of a team, and and not just because I felt like I was being attacked. I mean, they were just asking questions, why is this, why is that? I was like, we need to make sure that we're evaluating the mm-hmm. right things. Agreed. Like, we can't just evaluate the number of kids who go to camp, because that's a weird deal. Camp's super expensive with Young Life. Sometimes there are kids who are literally like, there's no way I can afford that. They're just not going to go. Mm-hmm. And, and so in that... Do do we st- and you still hear me talk about this today? Do we know the difference between inputs and outcomes? Mm-hmm. Like we can really only evaluate on inputs. At the end of the Agreed. year, I've told you I'm going to evaluate you on the things that you're doing well, not on how many kids show up. Because you might have put together a wonderful event, and kids just didn't show up. And yeah. so if you did all the planning, you had everything right. I mean, you're going to get evaluated well for that. Yeah. And then we wonder sometimes why God doesn't do the other part, yeah. but. But I can't really. I'm not going to ding you for it either. So, so yeah. making sure we understand what are the variables that we can track. Numbers are just easy to track. Yeah. You know, and, and again, you know, my dear friend Matt Walden, who was our executive pastor here for the longest time, always, and I can't remember where he picked it up, but probably he went to Pacific Lutheran. Mm. Uh, he talked about noses and nickels. Mm. Those, those are the things you can count. You yeah. count number of people and money. Yeah. And and we tend to think, well, that's the thing that's going to show healthy church. And sometimes it doesn't. Yes. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> and so we just have to be willing to go, there's underlying things that we talk about with growth that are much more important yeah. than noses and nickels. We do want people here because numbers is people, as Tony Evans yeah. says, and you do need money to do these things, that, but, but God provides the money. Agreed. He just does it through the people. <laughs> and I think that's something I've wrestled with over the years in, in student ministries, is yeah. student ministries can be very, like... I mean, if you don't have a lot of kids there, it can feel very dead. Yes. And so I think I've definitely wrestled with it at times and forced myself to not be number-based. But yet I think numbers are evidence, especially with kids, with students. I mean, kids are going to come to something they like. Mm-hmm. And so if they're not coming, there's probably a good chance they may, may not like it. Yeah, it and makes you, you... And you start evaluating yeah. those things. There's a perfect example of this, honestly, with our Monday night service, mm-hmm. because Monday night service is a third the size, probably yeah. a little smaller than our Sunday services. And going in, like, we, we understand that. We get that now. Yeah. We're comfortable with that. And some people just don't like big church, and they'll tell you, well, that's too many people. I was like, well, come yeah. to our Monday night deal. There's 50, 60 people there. Um, but, but there's something about that. Like, I don't consider that a failure because there's yeah. only 50 or 60 people there. 
I'd love to see it grow. You know, I mean, that, uh, numerically, because again, I think there's a huge need for that here in the valley. Mm-hmm. I think there's a bunch of folks who literally can't get to a service. We, there's so much shift work around here. There's yeah. stuff like that. Hospitals, uh, potlatch, the uh, Vista Outdoor. Yeah, um, there's so much. Yeah, th- th- there's just a ton, a ton of folks who aren't available, and so they could come on a Monday night. I know they could. There's people who are parts of other churches who are boating on the weekend, camping on the weekend. And and I'm not trying to steal them from their church, but if they missed a church service and they want to come... We have a Monday night. Yeah, they come on Monday night. So I'd love to see that. But but again, there's just something like the energy is never going to be the same Mm. with 60 people sitting there as opposed to 180 people sitting there on a Sunday. And so sometimes it's hard... God's really given me grace on it. I don't struggle too much, but I know it's been hard for Brent and it's been hard for the worship team. They stood up the day before and I, you know led worship Moving, with almost yeah. two, almost two hundred yeah. people at a time and, and lots of singing. And then you stand up with fifty or sixty people and you're like, well, this doesn't feel the same. <laughs> yeah, and and it's like, well, goodness, that makes it harder to do ministry. It's still ministry and it's still, yeah. I think, very successful. And the people who come on Monday night. Man, that's their church. They that's love being church, together. Yeah. So do we have to use the same statistics or variables mm-hmm. to measure them? I don't think we can. Agreed. You have to know what you're actually shooting for. Yeah. yeah. That's I a fun that's, discussion. Thanks. I think that's a, I think that's such an interesting one. That's something I've had to really kind of learn and, and grow in is, is basing it more on what am I seeing spiritual growth. And I think a large thing that I base it on growth within student ministries is Am I getting students connected? And exactly. I, uh, one of the big things I'll base it on too is, do I have students who are connecting themselves to a leader? Because yeah. I think that's such a big evidence of growth is, do I have a student who is feeling loved and cared for by a leader? Sure. And do I have a leader who is seeking that student out? Because if I am seeing that consistently, it's telling me there's growth. Exactly. And, yeah. and I think that if we have 20 kids showing up or if we have two or if we have 80... <laughs> If we're seeing that consistent connection between kid yeah. to kid and kid to leader, then I think that's evidence. And that's the thing you're looking yeah. for. I, you know, again, I remember my Young Life background and, and you know, when I first started in Young Life, club numbers were really mm-hmm. down and we'd have 30 or 40 kids. But we, we had a club at the end that was healthy. You had yeah. over 100 kids. Um, and I went to go speak at Young Life in Genesee. I've done this a couple times recently because uh, Greg Hardy uh, leads that, that Young Life club, a member here at OCC. And I've gone up and there'll be 10 or 15 kids or whatever. Well, Genesee's not a very big school mm-hmm. and, and Young Life is new there. So do those 10 or 15 kids deserve less of me than, well, gosh, normally I preach to this number of people or mm-hmm. I used to do Young Life. No, those kids matter to the Lord. Great. You just do it different because they're sitting on couches around you as opposed yeah. to sitting you know, in an auditorium. You know, it still matters. You know? yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So I think that's the thing. You look at the things that are important, the people God puts in front of you, and you don't go, well, we didn't have this number of people, so we can't do something. You know? It's hard, but you have to look beyond those numbers. It could be really hard. Um, Next question. Who do you think are the Gentiles for believers today? And then the second part of that is, who are the Gentiles for OCC? And and I alluded to that earlier. That's why I said, we're all Gentiles here. And so it really is. Kind of the question, I think, becomes then, who's next? Mm. Like, we know we're Gentiles. We received God's grace. We got the gospel. If we're Christ followers, who are we supposed to reach out to next? Who are we wrapping in? Now? Yes. Well, and again, without, because there is that sense, I think sometimes, you know, do we go the correct way? Do we go with the right spirit? Do we go with God's heart and his love for people? You know, because the gospel message is offensive. We've mm, talked about this several yeah. times before. To tell someone they're a sinner in need of a savior, they're like, hold on, you're saying I'm a sinner? Well, I didn't really say it. God said it, but 
<laughs> but don't shoot the messenger. You know? And so, so in that, how do we just know the next group of people to reach out to? Well, it's whoever, whatever lost person God puts in front of us. You know? And so it was neat to see, and, and that's where I kind of love studying the, the geography of it and even how Paul went out on his missionary journeys. He was always kind of looking, who's next? Mm. You know, I've, I've been to this area where we're trying to evangelize people here. I'm going to plant churches here and leave that for people to be mm. plugged into, and now I'm going to go to this next group. And I think that's kind of the question for us. And I always reference Young Life because there's neat models in that. Yeah. There's Young Life in Genesee because there was Young Life down here in the LC Valley. There was Young Life up on the Palouse. Yeah. And there was Genesee in between, and they're like, that's the area that's next. Yeah. There are kids there that matter to the Lord. Let's you know, Let's and they, they didn't start with a staff person because they couldn't, they can't afford to, but they got a and Greg's a phenomenal volunteer. He's a coach and a teacher in the yeah. school, so he knows kids already. That's so cool. And he's willing to give of his time to these kids that show up. Mm. They took kids to camp this summer, they do young life. That's beautiful. So so that's the thing for us at OCC. And so much of the time, I mean, who's next is the person at your workplace who doesn't yeah. know Jesus. It's the person that you work out next to at the gym and you see him four nights a week and you're like, who is that guy? I'm going to introduce myself. So I can maybe tell him one day, oh, I'm a pastor over at OCC. You ought to come. Yeah. So I hope that we're thinking about that. I hope we're just thinking who's next. And I think a big part when this question kind of brought up in my brain is what what the Jews were struggling with is they were struggling with looking outside of themselves. Exactly. They were struggling with saying, we are not it. Mm-hmm. We have to open ourselves up. We have to go find those who we thought were not welcome mm-hmm. and now welcome them. And so as the church, as OCC, as Christ followers who have been welcomed into God's family, are we able to look outside of ourselves and mm-hmm. say, we can't just stop right here. Yeah. And we have to open up and we have to welcome others in who is that person that I'm supposed to welcome them in? We are certainly supposed to do that. Yeah. And I think that's... Yeah. So not the Gentiles, all the Jews did it back yeah. in the day, and, and I know not everybody's doing it today, but that is the goal. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that who the Gentiles, anyone you come across, yeah. you have to open yourself up. And I think that's such a big thing. So yeah. um, <laughs> a little funny story. Last night we had a... Uh, for college group, we had like a hangout, cornhole kind of just time. And I was sitting across... My daughter has a little kid table. Mm-hmm. So I was sitting across the table for my little daughter and all the college students were hanging out and my daughter kept disobeying. Mm-hmm. She's one and a half. But anyway. Um, <laughs> we're going to cut her a lot of slack. Yeah. She kept <laughs> trying to steal food off my plate yeah. and there was items on it that <laughs> I didn't feel comfortable with her eating because yeah. of spiciness and things like that. So I kept saying, you know, honey, no, honey, no, honey, no. And so some kids were laughing as I was doing this. And so I, I kind of made a joke and I was like, okay, daughter, you're a sinner. We got to save you. <laughs> Jesus loves you. And the kids were laughing. They're like, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. Well, She's think, one and a half. Yeah. I think that's better than giving her the spicy food and seeing what happens. Because <laughs> sometimes God does that. He's like, you say you want this, go ahead and take it. So I'd say that I reached outside myself with my one-year-old. My one... <laughs> that was, it just made me, as you were talking about, I was like, okay, we got it. We got to start. I'm at least doing this here. So that's good. <laughs> Anyway, I'm going to get myself out of that one here. Anyway, our last question. If there was one thing slash area, what would be yeah. where OCC can grow in fellowship? Because that's part of what you talked about is a fellowship idea. Yeah. Well, and, and this has become something that we deal with differently today than the church back then did, mm-hmm. but not truly. I mean, they were Jews and Gentiles was the big schism, but... Now we make a lot of this denominational, we make this, you know, cultish religions are out. So, you know, how do we truly have fellowship? And there are areas where, and we've talked about this as a staff, 
it'd be neat to be, uh, the big theology word is ecumenical, you know, more mm-hmm. inviting to other churches, other, you know, denominations, but there are some areas where you got to be super careful <laughs> in that. More because, dogmatic, dogmatic. Yeah, you yeah. got to be dogmatic about teaching some theology, especially, well, truly salvation theology. Yeah. Um, there, there are mainstream denominations here in the United States that teach things like we got to be baptized to be saved. And you're like, Ooh, that's, <laughs> that's yeah. a deal breaker for me because scripture doesn't really say that, but your tradition does. You know, And, and so yeah. it's hard to, to, to be able to lock arms on a lot of that stuff. But, but to the heart of the question, what do you do? You strive for fellowship. I think you figure out ways you can grow and serve together. Mm. Serving works across the board. You could serve with somebody who believes you have to be baptized to, to be saved. But you can still go out and serve the Lord together. You can still go out and benefit the community together. There are things you can do. And so I think that's the area where, you know, as a church, we could partner with other churches around here in finding ways to serve mm-hmm. the community. And I think we should. And and then beyond that, there's fellowship with other believers. And again, it's to say, you know, you can't truly have fellowship with someone who's a non-believer. You can still establish relationships Agreed. with them. The fellowship is in Christ, so you can't have that with somebody who mm-hmm. isn't in Christ. But but are we still striving to make those relational connections with our neighbor who doesn't know the Agreed. Lord? Do you invite them over for dinner? Are you playing cornhole with them and, and talking across the fence in a way where you can point them to Jesus? So I, I think that's just something we need mm-hmm. to be more intentional with in, in every aspect of our lives. And that's where we're a little like the Jews. Sometimes we're like, it's a little easier to keep it in-house and <laughs> close those doors. Close the doors. Yeah. yeah. And so in that, are we being challenged all the time to mm. go, okay, th- th- this came to me. Grace was extended to me when I didn't deserve it. Mm. Am I going to be the conduit of grace to the next person who doesn't deserve it? That's good. Or am I going to say, man, it's sure great that God saved me. I think I'll sit on this. <laughs> you know. yeah. So I hope we are striving towards unity. I hope we are striving towards you know, trying to have more fellowship. It's a tough call. It's probably easier than the call to go out and share the gospel, which a lot of us struggle with. If you had those two options, hey, would you rather fellowship with somebody or share the gospel? I'll take the fellowship. Well, okay, then let's encourage one another. Let's be the yeah. church, and and that will probably lead to sharing the gospel. Agreed. But we, we don't have to front load it. Yeah. <laughs> fellowship is such a hard thing. A, I think you said it well here today. It's it's the ability to look beyond yourself. Mm. It really, really is. And that's probably the area we struggle with the most. I mentioned you know, in the sermon this last week, this idea of dying to ourselves. Well, nobody really loves that idea. Yeah. <laughs> Paul seemed to kind of get it. But, but other than Paul, most of us really struggle in that. I, I get it. Uh, there are times I'm super selfish, and I'm like, well, I don't want to do that because this thing. Yeah. But that's exactly the thing I'm supposed to do. Amen. It's the thing where God wants to grow me. Am I not willing to grow? I, I get challenged on this all the time. I need to grow immensely. Yeah. So. And I think for so many, and I, I know for myself, being uncomfortable is hard and is uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> I think the problem with it, Andrew, is it's uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I think that explains <laughs> it perfectly. And so I think so often, you know, fellowship can make people really uncomfortable. uncomfortable yeah. I think pushing outside of our comfort zone, we're just going to keep using comfort in different mm-hmm. different ways here, um, makes people, it's you really squirm. Yeah. And so I think that if we are willing to accept the fact that God is calling us to be uncomfortable in these areas. We're going to embrace the uncomfortableness and then look outside of ourselves and find those who need Him. Then I think that's that's following the idea of fellowship yeah. to the T. But it's so hard. It is hard. Yeah. My wife had a huge heart for this. We haven't done this since we've been in the valley to, to that extent. We have tried to invite people who don't yeah. have uh, a place to go spend Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. We've had several families in the church come with us, and that's fun. Um, when we were back in Missouri... 
we had just a, a much more diverse climate. There's a bigger college campus there. And we started trying to reach out to people who were far, far from home. Mm -hmm. We had a group of Indian girls come and have mm -hmm. the holiday with us one time, and they made Indian food, and it was fantastic. And we, ended, we ended up becoming friends with them. Indian food's amazing, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> what they made was phenomenal. Oh, it's so good. They have a loose understanding of time. So, like, you know, we mm -hmm. ate dinner one time at, like, 1030. Uh, but, <laughs> but the food was incredible. That sounds like fun, Incredible. though. <laughs> so, so in that, you know, are you opening yourself up to new experiences? Mm. Even you know, uh, none of those girls ever ended up coming to church, mm. but they came to our home. Yeah, and and they said in the amount of time that they'd been on campus there at Southeast Missouri State, they'd never been in anybody's home. Wow, in America. They'd only been in the dorm rooms, you know, but they hadn't been invited to somebody's home. That just and breaks, so that breaks my heart. It, wow. it really did. It crushed us. So they ended up, they come over all the time. And they still, to this day, one of the funniest memories I ever have is them bouncing on a trampoline. They'd never been on a trampoline. Really? And they're out with our kids bouncing on the trampoline. They're, they were out there for hours. Man. Yes. <laughs> like, this is the most incredible thing. Well, we wanted to share mm. experiences with them. We couldn't have fellowship. They weren't Christ followers, but we wanted to share that connection. And so Christina really got in her heart, and we started doing that. And we ended up with a... Chinese lady mm. and her young son, who was a piano player, is kind of a piano prodigy, a prodigy. And I think that's how we ended up with the connection because he was taking lessons with the person our kids were taking lessons with. Mm. But this lady was so nice and and so thankful for a place to come, and she brought a gift. Like she showed up for Thanksgiving, and I still have it. And we don't. Nobody wears ties or dresses up. This is beautiful silk necktie. Wow. <laughs> she, I mean, the thing was expensive, I guarantee yeah. it. You know, and that was her deal. She was showing up for our house for dinner. She was going to bring this gift. And, and so we got to experience a lot of neat stuff mm -hmm. culturally. Well, that that's great for them. They got a meal and they got, you know, and it was uncomfortable. There were some awkward silences and stuff. But what an incredible opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, are we looking for those kind of things? Mm -hmm. Inviting somebody into your home that you don't know well for a holiday is a little tricky. Mm -hmm. But it's one day. I mean, you know, normally on the holiday weekend, we got the whole weekend off, especially for Thanksgiving, and we're going to hang out together as a family and decorate our tree and yeah. do all our family stuff. To give up a few hours for the meal, it's worth it. Yeah, not not so hard, and we're be in the church. Mm, <laughs> so, really so it's those kind of things. Are we looking for those kind of opportunities? You have to be intentional about them. They're not just going to all of a sudden fall in your lap most of the time. Agreed. God's pretty funny. He can do that. But, but are we being intentional about it? And so I pray as a church, again, talk about one of the metrics, the, the measurables mm -hmm. of growth. If we had more and more people doing that, just intentionally saying, how can I get uncomfortable? How can I reach out beyond my – that would be fantastic. Mm, yeah, really I don't good. want to mandate it or anything, but, but that's a neat sign of growth. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I think it's really good. Before we end this episode, let's talk about next week. Oh, goodness, yes. What are we going to be studying? Uh, a little break in Acts again next week because we do our fall kickoff. Okay. Um, and, and that's exciting. Uh, there, there are so many opportunities to get involved in a Bible study, get involved in a small group, get involved in Rooted, mm. get involved in a service opportunity. And we talked about all the things at Connection Fair just a while back. And so I've preached kickoff messages like this many times before, and I didn't know exactly where I was going to go on this. And, and I felt God just gave me the, the neatest passage out of Mark 3, okay. where Jesus chooses the disciples, mm. because that's truly his small group. Like he made this small group, and then he walked with them for three years. And like a lot of the stuff that you see him doing in the small group was getting out of your comfort zone, mm. was growing in the relationship with the Lord. But like I just kind of looked at in the limited amount of time we'll have in a sermon, man, these guys were not... The cream of the crop. These <laughs> these guys were not no. first round draft choices, no. and so sometimes I think one of the things that keeps us from getting plugged into a small group, getting plugged into a service deal is, well, I really don't have much to offer. Mm. 
These guys had next to nothing to offer. <laughs> they were like social pariahs. They were big time. Yeah. These guys were bad dudes. Yeah. And God used them so mightily. And so I kind of just, we again, 12 disciples and, and a 40-minute sermon and, and setting up the kickoff. Can't spend a bunch of time. Mm. But just walk through. I was like, do we see these guys and, and who they were when mm. Jesus picked them to be part of the group? And then obviously who they become. Okay. You know, and, and, and I talked just a little bit about John because of John's anger issues. He's the, mm. one of the sons of thunder. And he becomes known as, if you remember, the apostle of love. love yeah. Here's this guy who struggled with anger, and he joins Jesus' small group, and he changes mm. because he desires to be more like Christ. So so I hope for all of us, like, well, I could never be part of a small group because I this or that, or I could never serve in any ministry because I mm. this or that. Oh, no, you can. You can. Amen. <laughs> if God could use these dudes that he picked in his small group, Anybody's eligible. Mm. So so I want to spend just a little time talking about that and then again encourage people, hey, if OCC is your church, if this is where you feel God's calling you, get plugged in somewhere. Mm. That's really good. Yeah. What can we be praying for to prepare for this week? Well, again, really just that folks would understand that call. It's not coming from you or me. I, I know you have needs in mm-hmm. student ministry. And, and God's been really good and grown your team yeah. in the time you've been here. And, and ministry is there, – there's lots of signs of health. Yeah. But there's a whole lot of students in the valley. Agreed. And and what if God wants them to be plugged in to your ministry? And that's mm. where they're going to grow. And I say your ministry knowing that you understand it's his ministry. Of but course. Yeah. <laughs> the of course. ministry where he's got you in that position. So, so in that, yeah, you need more volunteers to do that. That, that has been the thing. I'm, I'm going to say this and not as a strong arm tactic. I, I want to say this, I think. <laughs> I'm right now wrestling with this is coming... One of the things that has held us back mm. in growing, numerically growing in our in our health position as a church, has been the number of volunteers we have mm. in key service areas. Yeah. You know, there's only so many things. We, we went through a stretch where we couldn't offer children's at ministry. 10, at the 1030. Yeah, at, at the 1030 service for a while because we just did not have enough servant leaders to come be part of it. There was a time, I think, before I got here where youth ministry was like, on the fritz yeah. because of not we, enough leaders. Yeah, we were going to not be able to yeah. meet. Yeah, and, and and again, we need leaders to come mm-hmm. in and invest in kids, invest in kids' lives to do that. That's the kind of thing. So so when we make this appeal, yes, it is about, well, we feel like God wants us to have these ministries here, but it's much more about you have gifts mm-hmm. that you're sitting on, and if you're not doing anything, this might be exactly the thing Agreed. God wants you to do. So you'll hear us talk about it a lot, about getting plugged in because relational connection is that important to us. But again, it, it's about the fact that you're going to grow, mm-hmm. and God desires that for you. That's a healthy yeah. thing. So, yeah, it, it. I hope it again with the direction we're going and looking at the disciples. I hope it won't feel like a repeat or us just hammering you over the head. But, mm. but that's what it is. I, if this is your church, I guarantee you, God wants you to get in the game as our theme. Mm. And so we'll talk more about that. No, looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's Midpoint. If you'd like to send in any questions or thoughts into the show, please email or text Podcast at lewistonocc.org. We truly would love to hear from you and cherish we would. any and every question that we get from the body or, or those that are listening. And be sure to join us in service on Sunday at 9 a.m., Sunday at 10.30 a.m., as well as Monday night at 7 p.m. Hope to see you all very soon. Be well and know that you are so loved by God. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good one.